0: The Murder Mystery Podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? On the Murder Mystery Podcast, it's The Venetian Affair. Episode 13. Milky clouds languish across the city as Isabel walks along the main corridor of the Santi Giovanni and Paolo Hospital and turns into the ward where Malin Reed has been staying since she called an ambulance for him five days ago. Mr. Reed. Isabel, isn't it? Says Malin, looking up from his newspaper. Have you come to visit me? I thought you were coming out today, says the girl. I wondered if you'd like any help. Her smile reaches out to him across the space between them. That would be wonderful, my dear. Over the next hour, Isabel helps him get his things together and pack them into an old travel bag that Nancy had dropped off. They talk about Isabel's love of art and her dreams. She loads the bag onto a trolley and pushes it ahead of his limping gate, back to the main corridor and out to the Vaporetto stop at the rear of the complex. The water is calm as they sit and wait for the next water bus. How old were you when you wanted to be an artist, Malin? She says, using his first name for the first time. He considers the question, and she watches his face think back across the span of years. Fifteen? He says. I knew I wanted to do something creative. Thought about architecture? He looks up. She nods but says nothing. I didn't spend my teenage years chasing girls and drinking too much. I spent it in the art section of the local library. Monet, Manet, Picasso. I loved it all. What would you do if you'd not been successful? She asks. Success is the doing, Isabel. He stops and looks at her to underline his point. If others like it, then wonderful, but... I have to do something about art every day of my life, or I'm not living. The distant rhythmic thrum of an approaching water taxi pushes into their personal space as it turns the corner and slows to dock at the stop. Isabel stands up and is helped by passengers to get Malin's luggage on board. Then Malin gets into the craft and they push out into the open sea. The front door of the Palazzo Mandola opens and Maria looks at the man on the doorstep. Ciao, Bella, says Vincenti, and smiles. Maria is unimpressed and turns away down the corridor leaving the door open so she doesn't see Vincenti deliberately step wide as he comes in to avoid standing on the place where Nick's body had been found. Signori. She says to Paddy, who is in his study, Vincenti tarito, Paddy. Grazie, Maria. The girl pushes out into the corridor before Vincenti has reached her and walks off without acknowledging him further. The men greet each other, and Vincenti tells Paddy that he has the providence for the faithless child painting. Paddy is visibly excited, and they lay out the documents on a large, raised side table that sits under one of the seaward windows in the room. The provenance includes a letter signed by Lester Canfield himself, stating that he painted the work in the summer of 1997 at his studio in Edinburgh. There's a bill of transfer of the sale to Mrs. Arabella Fraser in 2001, and a photograph of the work installed in the Fraser's house in Scotland. Next, there is a Sotheby's auction sale proof letter showing transfer of ownership to Tariq Bali in 2010 and the Sotheby's authenticated validation. Finally, Pincente draws out the signed and witness agent contract for Art de Rabia to act on Bali's behalf, to market the picture and sell it by private arrangement. There are also various photographs of the whole work, the Canfield signature, Frame descriptions and further photographs of the back of the piece showing the artist's seal. Paddy reads each document carefully as Vincenti guides him through the papers and adds small details to reassure the businessman that this is a valid set of provenance. After a long time that tests Vincenti's patience towards the end, Paddy satisfies himself that what he has seen does confirm the authenticity of the artwork. He stands upright, considering for a few seconds, as this is the point of no return. Paddy has always taken this approach, even after large British tin contracts were all ready for his signature. His view has always been that when you are at a crossroads like this one, you should just take a moment to think about the consequences of what you're about to do and reconfirm that the decision is the right one. He looks at Vincenti. The Italian has expectation carved into every muscle from forehead to chin, his eyes trying not to give away too much. Finally, Paddy speaks. We'll go ahead, Vincenti. Torito holds out his hand to Paddy, and they shake on the deal. I'll keep these papers now, says Paddy and Vincente doesn't object. The art dealer keeps his joy within the limits of his perception of professionalism while with Paddy, but allows himself a big smile and a clench of his fist after he leaves the palazzo, and jumps on the water bus back to his hotel. Olivia gets a message on her phone from Paddy as she sits at her desk in the offices on Calais Goldoni. He wants to meet her this afternoon, She asks where, and he is happy, for her to decide. So she messages back, suggesting the Cornish Enterprise offices at 4pm, which he accepts. Paddy arrives ten minutes early for their meeting, and walks straight into his office, with a simple, Hello all. On the dot of four o'clock, Olivia walks into his room. He is writing in a notebook, and indicates for her to sit. He continues to write for a minute, then closes the book, with some finality. "'I have news, Olivia,' he begins. "'I agree to go ahead on the purchase this morning.' "'You've seen the providence?' "'I have. Vincente bought it to me.' Olivia looks puzzled. "'Do you have it here?' she says, and he grabs a new black leather document case from his bag and lays it in front of her. "'I would have liked to have seen it, Mr. Cornish.' she says, before you'd agreed. I thought you said you knew nothing about art. He smiles to take away the underlying discomfort. She doesn't reply, but starts to look through the documents. You are happy that these are both real and that the bundle provides a traceable history of the picture, she says, trying to regain some authority. It is difficult, I'll be honest, when looking at Providence, he says. You don't really know, unless the artist is alive and you can meet them. Anne Canfield died in 2006, she says, to illustrate her value to her client. Paddy can't hide his pleasant surprise, which she notes. Can you go through and do the due diligence on the documents for me? He says. Isn't it too late? Not if you unearth evidence of forgery, no. How long before you have to pay? "'A week, tops,' says Paddy. "'Can you draw up the purchase contract too?' "'It would be normal for the seller to draw up a sale contract, "'but I can do it if you want that,' she says. "'I'd like to be on the front foot,' says Paddy. "'Okay. "'I want to ask you about our other matter,' he says. "'And she notes a distinct change of tone in his words. "'From someone in charge,' When they were talking about the painting, to someone under pressure. I've traced Nick's movements from the party to about four in the afternoon on the day of his death, says Olivia. And? He slept with a woman that night, who he'd met at the party, then took a boat out to Le Vignole the next day and met two men. Vignole? says Paddy, to which she nods, then waits for the follow-up question. That she can see mulling over in his mind for a full five seconds before it emerges on his lips. Was at the Curtosa Hotel? You know it, she says. The air in the room seems to stop flowing for that second. I've been there, he says. The brevity of his answer immediately makes Olivia think he's hiding something. Have you been there recently? She is trepidatious as she speaks. Why do you ask? Defensive. Noted. No matter, she says. Then pushes the moment of awkwardness back in time, with more words. I found the water taxi pilot, who took Nick to the island, and I will see if I can find more out about what went on that day at the hotel. Paddy nods, but he's half absent now like a man who's just learnt something new and doesn't yet know how to deal with it. She tries another tack. Have you heard how Mr. Reed is? She says. Paddy brightens at the offer of another topic to take his mind off whatever it was he was thinking about. It came out today and is apparently greatly improved, just in time for the opening tomorrow. He smiles and she returns it wanting to ensure their relationship remains as open as he is willing to make it. They talk on about the Biennale for a while, then he wraps up the session. Olivia retraces her steps and sits at her desk. Then Paddy meets Nicole in his office, and then Ted, while Olivia starts to create a whole new file about provenance validation on her computer. It is past 6pm, by the time all of the meetings are finished. Ted has to dash, he says, as soon as he comes out from Paddy's office, at which Nicole looks disappointed. Paddy finishes off some work, then he leaves, and Nicole follows him five minutes later. Olivia plows on through the authentication documents, as she wants to break the back of it by at least sending off emails to the validating people before she leaves tonight. At last she closes down her machine. Her mind has started to wind through the questions she still needs to answer on her investigations. Sometime during the past few hours she noticed that Paddy has a large whiteboard on his office wall which is just what she needs. Olivia goes into the office and writes art purchase and Nick's death in the centre of the board and draws boxes around each one. Then she writes all of the unresolved issues around the board and draws the lines of connection between any that have a relationship. By the time she has finished, there are two main groups in front of her. One called, Why Was Nick Killed? And the other, Was Roger Thorne Corrupt? Under these two blocks, Olivia has written the key questions to be answered. In Nick's block, she has written, Who gains from his death? Why dump him at the palazzo? And what happened on Vignole? For the Roger grouping, she has written, Who paid Roger Thorne? What was he doing for the money? And is Ted part of it? She stands back and inspects her handiwork. Next to the questions, she writes some potential answers, including possible suspects. Olivia also plugs in where Jess's meetings with both Scott Goodman and the Art de Rabia director could fit. Those last additions make her feel uncomfortable. If Jess is involved with the Goodmans, it will make the job of solving this case twice as difficult. Olivia has a final look at the board and is satisfied that it captures her current state of play. She goes to her desk to collect her phone so she can take a photo before wiping the board. She leans down and pulls the phone out of her bag. At that moment, the lift doors slide silently open. Olivia has her back to the entrance and doesn't hear anything until the doors shut. She turns to go back into Paddy's office and only then does she see Nicole walking out of his office and straight to the lift. The lift is already there and the doors open immediately. She hurriedly presses ground, The doors close and the lift drops down out of sight. Olivia swears under her breath, walks back into Paddy's office, takes the photo and cleans the board. She knows that Nicole and Ted are close and the last thing she wanted is for her notes about Ted being seen by the woman he is likely sleeping with. Olivia is annoyed with herself but she can't make Nicole unsee what was written on the board, so she'll have to handle it. Olivia grabs her things and makes her way to street level. Nicole had given Olivia the address of her flat on the first day, in case she needed to contact her out of hours. Olivia looks up the place on her phone, then dives off into the darkening dusk to find the flat. There are few people about this late in the evening, away from the touristy areas near the lagoon. Olivia twists and turns down the alleyways, until she reaches Calibelendis. She finds the right number and pushes a wooden door that leads from the street into a vestibule, with corridors peeling off into the heart of the building. A thick stone staircase sits stolidly on one side, and Olivia climbs to the fourth floor. Numbered doors gaggle around the landing. Nicole's flat, number 43, is on the far left of the access. Olivia tugs at the ancient-looking, but probably new, bell-pull. After a few seconds, Nicole says through the door, Who is it? It's Olivia, Nicole. The sound of the latch being pulled back echoes into the stairwell and down to ground. Nicole opens the door, tears not quite dry on her cheeks. Can I come in? Nicole stands back to allow her in, and they go into the lounge. A drink, says Nicole, holding up her own half-finished serving you. Thanks. Nicole pours another glass and sets it on the table between the two modern sofas that sit either side of a big window. The women sit, each on one side of the table. I wanted to give you some background says Olivia. Do you think Ted is corrupt? says Nicole, crashing through the carefully thought-through structure of Olivia's plan for the conversation. Let me tell you something first. Nicole breathes out, blinks, and nods minutely as an assent to the idea. Roger Thorne was receiving payments from an anonymous bank account, begins Olivia. I don't know what for, who sent them, how long it had been going on, or who else was involved. As of today, I have no evidence to say that Ted knew about them. He could be completely innocent, but part of my job as a lawyer is to ask all of these questions. So you're guessing. I'm just recording all of the possibilities. As soon as I can prove any option is wrong, then I'll discount it. Why are you even looking into Roger Thorne? Says Nicole. I thought you were just helping out with the painting and the exhibition. Paddy asked me to look into Nick Goodman's death and collect evidence for his defence in the case that the father has bought, says Olivia. What's that got to do with Roger? As yet, nothing. But two deaths within weeks of each other? Both connecting back to the Cornish family seems too much of a coincidence. She sits back and takes a sip of wine. What was Roger like? Distant. Often seemed to have phone calls that he needed to take in Paddy's office. Would you normally know about all of the work that Roger was doing? Because as the business manager you have an overview of it all, says Olivia. Nicole drinks and makes an affirmative noise, mid-gulp. Then Olivia says, ''I could do with your help.'' ''How?'' says Nicole. ''Try and find out from Ted about what he knows?'' The women's eyes burn across the divide, both knowing what Olivia is asking. ''But you do think he's corrupt?'' ''I don't know,'' she says and is tempted to add he is cheating on his wife, but stops herself. They talk more about what could have gone on, most of it worthless speculation from Olivia's perspective, but the process is important so that Nicole feels part of the investigation. Eventually, Olivia says she needs to get some sleep, and leaves Nicole standing in her doorway, looking half sad, and half Philosophical.